Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. guess you know do, let's juice our hair first you know let's floof off our hair uh-huh. that's important <laughs> okay <laughs> hello everyone this is Chawan and I am super honored to have this guest with me today this lovely lady she is somebody who's so well known in the magic community and if you are serious at all about tarot you have probably come across her blog, Tarotflexions. It's one of the preeminent blogs about tarot. And I know that when I was Googling stuff about tarot, her blog came up a lot. If you talk to anybody who is into tarot, like seriously into it, not like just doing it once in a while, but like really studies it, they will always bring up, oh, you should definitely take a class with Camellia Elias. And I finally did a couple months ago, and I have to say that her class was absolutely amazing. And I feel like she has so many things to teach, especially new witches, about how important it is to do divination. And also, not just for witches, but just for anyone in general, how to take something symbolic, apply it to your life, and use it in a way that's practical. Because everything in this world is just symbols that our minds can find meaning in, and that meaning that we put into it is what creates our lives. I am, again, so thrilled to have Camellia with me. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for this invite, and was thank you for taking my class in playing cards. <laughs> when I first looked into tarot, where I didn't know much about it, I just thought it was just looking at a bunch of pictures and finding the meaning in a book. And being mm-hmm. like, oh, this card means this, and that card means that. And then I'd just be like, when my friends would try it, before I learned mm-hmm. from you, they would give me these weird, like, very rigid meanings. And then mm-hmm. I'd just be like, this doesn't apply to me at all. But what you're talking mm-hmm. about seems to be more than that. Actually, my field is in American um, studies, and I got tenured for my uh, work in Jewish American literature, of all things. So, yeah, uh, I ended up with my second doctorate in creative writing and epistemologies of creating writing. You know, how do you write? How do you approach the very idea of the, of the creative? And my colleagues you know, they said, nobody ever ditches a tenured professorship. How can you do that? You know, so that you can become a fortune teller. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine the laughs. Right? I, I mean, I hope that the last laugh is on me. I don't know. I'm still in the process of uh, paying attention to what's happening right now. So, you know. So I I, um, I changed lanes entirely, and then I went. Um, I don't, I don't want to say I started a new thing, because while I was with, with the university, what I was interested in always um, was uh, simple questions. You know, like what is the premise for for anything <laughs> that we think about. So I did some research into using the tarot as a cultural text. And by that, I simply mean to say that I was fascinated by why uh, a, 
a terror pack, you know, the, especially the 22 Trumps, you know, um, have been so, um, so many times reproduced and disseminated throughout, throughout our culture. There is, right now, there is just about no manifestation of our earthly life that doesn't have some kind of representation in the tarot. So we have things like the housewives tarot, the baseball tarot, the Dracula tarot, the, I mean, you name it, you name the phenomena, and it's very unlikely that you will not find the tarot representing that particular phenomena. So part of my research at the university at that time was simply to look into what it was that made so people, um, so many people interested in finding their own agendas mirrored in these cards. What'd you find? <laughs> well, you know, I, I found that particularly the so-called marginal, marginalized groups, you know, they, they found the tarot as a kind of an outlet for um, investigating into the notion of the self, you know, who am I? Um, the tarot, let us not forget, became very popular in the 60s when the women became to be very interested in the question of the self, you know. <laughs> oh, okay, so I have been a wife and I'm a mother and I have been a housewife. and I have been... But, you know, I don't really have a sense of self. So a lot of research into feminism has, has been done around the 60s. And, well, what I found was that it, it was comforting. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> it was comforting for a while to realize that when you play with the tarot cards, and that I would emphasize that notion of play, that, you know, every time you lay down three cards, you will have a new story about the self, about your environment, about what is to come, if you are interested in doing predictive readings, um, about your world. I found that, that it was very, very easy for people to simply just uh, see themselves as going through embodied functions. You know, in this case, let's just take talk about the women, uh, the women of the 50s, yeah, indeed the 50s housewives and then the 60s, you know, and they got to be emancipated or liberated. We use all those words. Um, so, you know, so you lay down three cards and then all of a sudden you have a narrative where, uh, you know, you can see yourself as embodying the function of the leader. You have the archetypes, the grand so-called archetypes, you know, the, you have the emperor, the empress, you have the, the star, you know, you have emperors. So, you know, these are strong forces that a lot of women start to identify with. And I can totally see the fascination in that because after all, you know, we recognize these types from our daily dealings in life. You know, we all know a boss type, we all know a nurturing so-called type of mother, you know, we all know the type of the giver, you know, if we talk about the star, right? The temperance, the one who's always diplomatic, trying to smooth out relations and so, and so on and so forth. So you can imagine taking a woman who has no sense of self, sitting there with a pack of cards, and realizing that every time she would lay down three cards, that she would have a completely different configuration based on all these random permutations. So before you know it, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I want to know more about this. <laughs> like, okay. So, you know, it's, it's a fun game. It's a fun game of projection, obviously, because that's what we're dealing with always. You know, that's when my Zen comes in. And when we start talking about Zen, I'm not a nice person. <laughs> I like that when you're not nice, though. <laughs> For all this talk, you know, if you ask me, 
at the meta level of this course, in other words, just positioning myself at some kind of distance from what I'm observing or what I'm investigating into. Uh, that's one thing, you know, so I can say that's so fascinating, but if I have to involve myself in what I'm doing, and I think that much of my uh, teaching actually comes from this other position, which is very much Zen-informed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the first thing that yeah. goes is, like, identity. That's my biggest enemy. Self. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this, this microphone can actually record my, my very <laughs> nasty sounds here, you know, the, the slashing, yeah? So I'm Xing all of this out. So in that sense, maybe to make a point here, you know, I'm not your regular fortune teller indeed, you know? <laughs> Oh, that's an understatement, yeah. Like the tarot card, it's a popular thing, a popular tool for all those who have struggled to find a foothold, you know, in, in the, like, how can I, the basic question there is, how can I get recognized? <laughs> somebody, can, can somebody give me some recognition today? Thank you. If we have to get a, a slightly more sophisticated, you know, and, and, and this is the point that interests me in my work with the cards, is when I, when I, Look at the narratives that emerge out of a three-card layout or a ten-card or a whole grand tableau or whatever. When you have all the cards on the table, what interests me is this. How can I look at these cards and try not to think about anything, try and leave all that, you know, concern and soul anguish and desires, I need to be somebody, you know, uh, I need recognition. If I put all that aside, and if I try not to cling to any kind of conceptual framework, what might I come up with? The stuff that I then end up relating to, because I'm already making a very conscious move towards detachment. You know, where I look at what is happening, I try to recognize or at least identify the situation. What is happening, then I try to recognize, you know, what I see is the case. Um, using these visual cues that we have. I mean, after all, we're dealing with, with visual uh, artists designing these decks. What is the case according to these people's design? Uh, and we can talk about esoteric design, intentional design, whatever. I don't really give a shit about that. So what I'm interested in is what do I see? What do I see? Whether it has any meaning or, or not, I don't care. What do I see? Um... And how does that relate to what I would like to see <laughs> or how I am in denial about seeing? See what I mean? So there are a couple of moves that I'm trying to push when I look at the cards. So just what do I see when, when my seeing or I'm trying to make a move for my seeing not to be informed by any cultural preconditioning or any other type of preconditioning? So that's already pretty advanced. How do you see, can you see these images without all that? Yeah. And the next step that I always go for is I try to investigate into my into the premise for my own question, if it's my question that I bring to the cards, or else if I read for other people's, I try to really listen to that. What are they saying? What are they really saying? <laughs> even, if, even, you know, between the lines. People say a lot of things, and then I start detecting, ah, well, what they're, what they're really saying is something entirely different. This can be both conscious and unconscious, which is what, what makes my work with the cards you know, very exciting, because every time I 
have to go in there with this kind of hearing, like, what am I really hearing? So I'm trying to be very present there in the moment of reading the cards, whether it's for myself or for others. What am I hearing? What is the premise for this question? You know, <laughs> is there any implicit or underlying structure to what people are talking about or putting on my table in the form of a question? And the third that I always use in my own practice is to also, after I do these preliminary observations, to ask myself, now, what is the premise for what I am saying in the sense of, you know, if I can get the... Um, if I can, uh, if I can arrive at some commonsensical conclusion, you know, that can synthesize, you know, these uh, pieces of information that I receive, you know, in other words, how can I process this information so that I turn it into some kind of knowledge that the other can receive from me and use? Uh, then I have to think about how I put it, you know, how do I put it? What kind of words do I use? You know, what is the premise for that kind of formulation for my relaying a particular sentence or whatever you want to call message yeah let's call it a message right so you know uh then, then the, the next thing that i do that i find fascinating in this work you know that's not just doing cultural studies again um is um checking with my own fearlessness <laughs> you know that is actually one of the things that i always try to teach everyone who takes my class you know how fearless are you uh, in other words, how free are you? You know, how free are you for from the anxiety that you may experience that, oh my God, I sit here with three cards and I have no idea where I can't make any sense of them, but ooh, lo and behold, thank you for the books filled with random meanings. You know, then I can just look it up and have a, have a, give it a go. Uh, so if, if you don't resort to any such books, you know, how fearless are you? How confident are you that you can sit with these visual images and um, given their history, you know, they are so clear, actually, and that's what I love about this. They have at least the 22 trumps, you know, that we have added on top of the, play, the regular playing cards pack. Um, there is the clarity of different figures embodying different functions, yeah? So, you know, when you talk about addressing symbolism throughout the day, you're right that there is nothing in the world that is not that does not already belong to the so-called symbolic order of things, you know, I mean, I get up in the morning and like you said, let's let's do our hair, you know, so how do I look, by the way, I hope I, hope I look good, you know, <laughs> I'm 50 soon, so I don't know who the hell is going to be interested, <laughs> you know, 50 year old hag, you know, <laughs> but let's pretend, so you see, there you have, so we can, we can pretend, you know, we can do all sorts of things that are utterly symbolic, you know, I get up in the morning, I look at myself in the mirror, I put a little lipstick, I do something, and here I am ready to conquer the world. That's a purely symbolical act. So we cannot bypass the day-to-day life symbolism, you know, but once we know that in effect, all these stylizations that we resort to, they can be bodily or conceptual, they have no inherent existence, <laughs> and in other words, they mean zero, <laughs> they mean nothing. <laughs> so, you know, in a way, we go through life operating the whole for a lot of nothing that we, however, assign a whole lot of meaning to. It's all fine, it gets us through life, but at the end of the day, how much belief do we invest in these 
symbolic acts. So see, this is the crucial question that interests me. So when I say check with your fearlessness, after you identify what's happening in the cards and you try to investigate into the premise for the question, whether yours or another's, you investigate into the premise for, for your own formulations for what you need to say. How fearless are you? You know, how much clinging do you do to your own conceptual framework? You know, um, so if I decide with myself that today I am, I am, I'm free, I am detached, <laughs> or I don't know, maybe I don't know what detachment really is, but at least that knowledge, you know, that I bring to the table, that none of this means anything, it saves me. Yeah? So that is exactly what enables me then to come up with what I like to believe is a crystal clear answer. What I find fascinating about this work with the cards is the fact that they give us the possibility to embody, in a way, that form of clarity that comes out of bringing yourself to the table and being present to listening to the other, what's going on, what is the issue that we need to address. And then, you know, kicking into that so-called intuition, you know, which for me is utter clarity, yeah, so that we can arrive to a sentence or a judgment of the situation that is precisely not involved. In other words, it has zero of my baggage, <laughs> zero content that comes from my own uh, cultural field, cognitive field, deconstructive field, whatever, the Zen field, whatever field, semiotic field. If I can determine that I bring none of that into my reading of the, into my clarity, that is to say, it's not so much about the reading of the cards, because obviously I will make recourse to all of these competencies when I try to decode something. But at the end of the day, the clarity that I develop, I want that to be like crystal clear, you know. <laughs> when you realize that there is no inherent substance to anything at all, then the next thing that happens is that you can allow yourself in a completely relaxed way to ask the other question. So, okay, nothing has existence, <laughs> inherent existence. Nothing has substance. This is also, I guess, supported by quantum physics and the science, science world. So it's not anything new I'm inventing here. So nothing has substance. Then you can be relaxed in posing the next question, or at least that's the one I like to pose. It's like, okay, so then what is the purpose of anything? <laughs> this desire that I have to understand how I can still enjoy narratives, even the narratives of the self that I don't have any beliefs about. <laughs> you know, it sounds like I'm so free. Thank you, God. <laughs> you know, um, how can I still enjoy all these narratives about the self and all that? Well, I never believed in all that. And, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that I can enjoy all this because I maintain a very sober distance between the stuff that I see happening right under my eyes and then my realization, my constant realization, actually that's a, it's, a, it's a practice, some would say it's a tantric practice, the constant realization that you, that you impose on yourself almost in case you should forget that nothing has substance, therefore there is no point in clinging to anything, there is no point even in asking the, that question of what is the purpose of this and that, nothing, there is no purpose of anything. Read the cards or you try to internalize some of the 
ideas that come at you that precisely have the potential to destabilize completely your uh, habitual patterns of thinking, then when you then you see the value in that, you know. So there you have it. So you know, I read the tarot, and so I do more quasi-academic research into it because you know I kind of got used to it and I can't help it. So I'm interested in a lot of history and all that, but I don't, in my own reading practice of the cards, I don't care about history. I just care about how we can simply just look and then pay attention to what arises so that we can finally come to the conclusion that, aha, there is something here that completely knocks off my habitual pattern of thinking. So that's, that's the, that's the, the now you've got my whole philosophy of reading the cards that I have. You know, I, <laughs> maybe I, I didn't used to be so clear, or I don't know, maybe to some here it, will, it comes across as so convoluted. But this is where I come from. Impressionable. Maybe you don't want to, to be open to what the, the person to the left says, what the person to the right says. Oh, this one says this and the other one says that, and then you sit there all the time and you're like, when we talk about looking at the cards, there is also the other thing that you still need to kick in some kind of awareness of a particular type of method. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.